welcome to the next edition of Atomic Ergo. My name is Earl Ray Neal, your host, and we are uh, quite pleased to have with us today Chris Williams. Welcome, Chris. Happy to have you. Thank you for the warm welcome, Earl Ray. Appreciate it. You're, you're very welcome. Um, I'm going to go ahead and, and uh, sort of get our audience uh, up to date on your you know, your professional educational background, your your career history. Certainly, it reads like a, a, a who's who, and and uh, it's very impressive. We're su- super happy to have you, and I can't wait to hear what you have to say today. Um, Chris has his BA from the University of Delaware in international relations and international political economy. That's something we actually share. I have a, a, one of my degrees is in political science basis as well. So that, that's interesting to me. Uh, he is a CAE, which is a certified association executive um, and a master, uh, a certified master trainer. He is currently the executive director of the uh, uh, Voluntary uh, Protection Program uh, Participants Association. Uh, you may have seen it shortened VPPPA. Uh, he is also the uh, former director of membership for the Association of the uh, Wall and Ceiling Industry, the executive director of the National Child Support Enforcement Association, which I would love to talk to you about that sometime because of another j- uh, job in my other life, so to speak. Um, also been uh, has previously been the uh, director of affiliate services and the National Association of Home Builders and the uh, previously the director of public affairs for the Seniors Coalition. Now, oddly enough, our career tra- trajectory is on the basis of your work history is very similar to mine. Uh, and we won't go, we're not going to talk about me today. But I, when I was reading through this, I I, I thought all oh, that was uh, that was interesting. So, you know, certainly, Chris, you know, you have dedicated your career to helping people and organizations on a on a large scale. So. Uh, I'd like to know how you came to the decision that you wanted to be a certified association executive. And why don't you tell the folks exactly sort of what that, you know, what that process is to be certified. Certainly it's uh, we take, you know, different career paths, depending on our background. And and it's interesting because you look at, you know, you listed off all those positions I've had and there's usually one thing in common with them. A lot of, a lot of construction, a lot of construction safety in there. And the reason there is, yeah, my, my background, my father was a contractor, small industrial, uh, light contract, commercial contractor. So I spent my summers in high school and college on job sites. And so that's my first exposure to that side of the business, and especially on the safety and health side. But really, the bulk of my professional career has been, been in the association world. It's been as an association executive on the nonprofit side. And it just so happens they dovetail nicely on the construction side with uh, AWCI, Association of Law and Sealing Industry, Associated Builders and Contractors on the home builders as well. Uh, so what really led me to that certified association executive designation through the American Society of Association Executives was basically the experience on that nonprofit side. Uh, at HB, Affiliate Services Department was focused on association governance. I really got my uh, chops in that. And it seemed like a natural fit, a natural progression from a career standpoint to go ahead and sit for the CAE. And that was uh, back in 2010 now that I got that. And so it's uh, been there a long time. Got it back on the wall here. Uh, very proud of that achievement. And it's given me the tools to be able to kind of shift seamlessly between associations, but also in terms of, of going up that career ladder to be where I'm at today as executive director of VPPBA. Chris, would you mind taking a couple of minutes and explain to us um, OSHA's voluntary protection program and, and how uh, your association, uh, how they're related? 
Absolutely. Uh, OSHA's Volunteer Protection Program, they launched it back in 1982, and just a quick history on it. It started before that in the late 70s, 1979, out of the San Onofre Nuclear Power Generating Station, and it started from labor. When labor went to the contractor on site and said, listen, we're going to build this nuclear plant. This is inherently dangerous work. And we've had fatalities in the past. How, how do we work together to prevent them from that? The modern day version of EPP was born and it's founded on three main components. It's employee involvement. Yeah, we talk about from a safety and health perspective, employee engagement, which is great. Engagement's only part of it. In a true total safety and health culture, high performing safety and health culture, it's employee involvement meaning they've got a direct stake and direct say in the safety and health processes on site to protect themselves. It also is founded on component of management commitment. That commitment is, if we need resources, we provide them. You know, ask the question about it. If our employees come to us, we work together with them. They sit there and tell us that we need something to be safer. There's a better way to do things. Management is committed to following their lead. And the reason being is that, you know, I've sat behind a desk and put out thousands of pages of safety and health directives. I've sat in OSHA meetings talking about regulations and sit behind that desk, putting this stuff out. It seems great on paper, but unless I've got input from the field, it really doesn't make sense because I'm not the one applying those concepts, applying those processes. And then the third component of VPP, probably most important of all, and that's the regulatory agency commitment to overseeing and maintaining our combined commitment between management and labor to following through what we say we're going to do. And with OSHA starting this program back in 1982, what that entails is a full-on site audit every three to five years to make sure that you're upholding the standards of EPP. It means taking a look at our annual self-evaluations that our sites submit that show continuous improvement, which is what our program is founded on. You know, we, we all realize that VPP is a great achievement. Getting that star flag is awesome, but a VPP site realizes that's only a waypoint on a journey. And so that's the nexus of the program. And we're VPPPA comes in. We represent about 1,400 stakeholders, sites, high-performing companies that are committed to advancing workplace safety and health excellence. And so we help work with OSHA, as we're doing right now with modernization. We help guide the program where it needs to go, make helpful suggestions on how to manage the program, what ideas, what concepts can be implemented. But really, we serve as the networking and best practice sharing, basically centralized wheelhouse, where we get to get folks together, we share the best practices. Our chair's got a, a fond of a saying, and I've kind of adopted it, that VPPPA is here to help with R&D, and that's rip-off and deployment. I take it a step further, it's rip-off and development, because in safety and health, we're happy to share those ideas. You know, on the construction side, I can tell you 15 years ago, that wasn't the case. It was, we were kind of protective of it, but we've opened up now where VPPPA's got the opportunity to help take those best practices, research them, make them better, and then have somebody steal and do the same thing that we're doing and then bring them back and really accelerate the advancements in safety and health culture. So let's uh, turn our attention to uh, ergonomics. So we'll have an ergonomics question now. Uh, based on your uh, extensive uh, safety uh, and health management experience, um, how do you see your industries being affected by poor ergonomics and how do the uh, VPP sites uh, address ergonomic issues in the workplace specifically? Well, to answer the first question, in terms of how sites and industries are affected by poor ergonomics, well, let's face it, you know, we're all getting older. We're not as young as we once were. Like that great country song to that extent. And what that means is that we're more susceptible to injury just based off of wear and tear from day-to-day -day life. 
And so we look at the worksite ergonomics on, on our sites and we talk about it. The real question is, how do we facilitate an environment that lessens the risk there in, in terms of those MSDs, those musculoskeletal injuries disorders? And it's incumbent upon us when we look at our BPP sites, BPP sites do a spectacular job based off of that employee involvement and that employee engagement where we're asking our frontline workers out on the factory floor, out of the construction job site, what do you need to make your job easier to do and safer, most importantly? And so we look at it from that standpoint, it really is that engagement with the frontline worker to give them the tools that they're going to need, the resources they're going to need to really engage in that prevention. And another side of that as well, we look at, as I said, the aging workforce. One of the biggest things, especially on the construction side, is prevention through design. And that applies to the workstation as well, not just in construction, but in manufacturing, the industrial side as well. Being able to look as we bring new plants, we bring new facilities online, how can we engineer out some of these potential ergonomic hazards and MSD hazards? You know, how, do, how do we get the resources in place? How do we create padded flooring? How do we use machine guarding technology to really lessen that impact and quite honestly protect our most valuable resource and further their and lengthen their work career you know you actually touched on uh my next question so i want to focus now on the 77 million boomers uh that were born between 1946 and 1960 uh 1964 uh you know they they hit retirement age about and folks think about this about one every eight seconds so that's ten thousand eight hundred people on average a day so along with that age demographic comes just what you were talking about chris the, the you know disease of natural aging you know arthritis things of that nature now uh, you know certainly it's considered to be part of the natural aging process but What's your position on uh, how employers uh, should be accommodating this population? You know, many states actually have um, um, even the arousal of pre-existing uh, conditions are compensable under their mm -hmm. state worker comp law. So what, what's your take on that, Chris? It, it goes back to Roy, what I talked about with prevention through design. Yeah, it's, and I, I can tell you from, you know, it's, it's boomers, yes. It's my generation as well. You know, we made, I made dumb decisions as a kid playing ice hockey and broke both my ankles. So arthritis comes naturally to me, Com comes, comes as part of that. And so we look at, from a VPP site standpoint, from an accommodation standpoint, it goes back to that prevention through design and that those engineering controls that help ease that, that burden, I'll call it, in terms of those padded floors and workstations that are ergonomically designed to prevent overreaching, prevent strain. Another part of that, too, it really does focus on implementing technology. You know, we've seen some tremendous developments on the technology front um, in terms of exoskeletons and just lifting and robotics that really helped the workforce today reduce that strain, reduce that burden, reduce that risk of MSDs. What, what role do you see technology playing you know, in the future uh, as it relates to these ergonomic issues? I mean, certainly, you know, we have ErgoAlgo. We, we we feel like that that really fills a a, a niche uh in, in in the industry uh what's your what's your thoughts on that I, I think you hit it on that right there and it's it starts again on the prevention side of it and understanding the risk factors and mitigating those risk factors from the outset when we can and it's understanding that we, we've all gone through we felt as a worker we felt the twitch 
but we didn't do anything up because you know my generation and generations before that it was always just tough it out but it's teaching the workforce and working with our employees and those frontline workers to say okay if you feel something it's okay to come and have it treated now get, get let's get rid of that stigma especially you know when i was in construction where it's you just walk it off no no it doesn't help especially with an aging workforce and i bring that up because when i was with the association of law and ceiling industry we had some interesting research where the average age in construction is 56 across the entire workforce. And so we look at that standpoint, we shouldn't ever consider, we shouldn't ever settle for injuries being a part of the job. So we work through that mentality. From technology standpoint as well, you look at things like exoskeletons that are being deployed right now. You know, 10 years ago, they were in the early stages of the development, but now they're being deployed more and more those are going to be game changers, I think. As that technology gets scaled down in terms of the size and the cost, and you see more adoption of it. That right there, you're looking at, like I said, a potential game changer in terms of being able to, to lift the same load or more with half the strain or more reduction. And we talk about engineering controls being in place as well, and technology side and robotics. You know, in the construction side, this was about four or five years ago now, over in Europe, they came out with a robot that can self-carry sheets of drywall and self-install it. And from a work, workforce standpoint, as we look at an aging workforce and, and reducing that strain, we're going to see more of our workforce trained in how to operate the machinery itself. That's going to make their jobs easier. And for the longest time across the industry, we've looked at that as workers as, you know, that's a threat to my job. When the reality is we should be looking at it as it's an opportunity for me to learn a new skill and really prolong my career and, and prolong from a personal standpoint, my ability to play with my kids and grandkids, my ability to, to lead a, a you know, full life without pain. And I think that's the exciting part of using technology to our advantage. You know, uh, Chris, my dad, you talked about your dad earlier. My, my dad, uh, you know, worked, uh, you know, physical labor uh, his entire life. And, you know, I'm 53 and I can tell you that I am in much better physical shape than my father was. Uh, at, at my age. And, and when you couple um, the aging workforce, along with some scary numbers that we're going to talk about here in just a second uh, in the uh, construction industry, uh, it's concerning. And, and, and I think you've hit the nail right on the head when you talk about learning new technology, extending your uh, your life in the workforce and, and, and uh, you know, being more productive. So in 2022, the construction industry uh, was hiring at a pace at about 390,000 a month. And, you know, they couldn't find enough workers. Now in 2023, it looks like the industry needs to hire an additional 59,000. Now I'm, I'm not just making this up. This is the Association of Builders Contractors uh, information. Uh, and then the ABC also estimates that there's going to be an additional billion dollars in construction spending this year with almost 4,000 additional jobs. So so here, here's kind of where I'm going with this. There's a lot of work out there to be had. Uh, we are in a spot, though, where we don't have the workers to fill that, whether it be because of the aging population or because they're, uh, you know, a lack of skilled labor, which is a huge issue. Uh, across the across uh, the the construction uh, industry. So, how does an organization, um, you know, kind of start down that path to have 
you know, the best safety and health culture, uh, you know, like your voluntary protection program participants uh, to attract people to want to come work for? Well, Ray, this is a great question. And I'll, I'll start it off with, if you want to put the, 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 the chronic skilled labor shortage across industry, not just in construction, but across industry into perspective, I'd ask the audience, have you tried to buy a house in the last five years? If you sold your house and you tried to buy another one, you realize that the housing market, you may have made a lot of money off that home you sold, but you're going to pay a lot more for that house you're going to buy. And how that equates to the labor market is with this chronic skilled labor shortage. If I'm looking for a job and I'm in a high demand trade, I'm a welder, I'm a carpenter, I'm a machinist, down the line, I've got the intellectual, I've got that skill set. I can basically choose where I want to go to work. And what I'm going to look at, it's not just from a pay standpoint, quality of life. Quality of life is who's going to keep me safe at the end of the day. And that's not just construction. That, that's industry as a whole. Where can I go to work and where are they going to have the safety and health culture that prioritizes me and prioritizes my family? So when you look at how to build that, you know, we're fortunate at BPPPA that our, our members are the high performing companies and sites that are involved in BPP, but also outside of the program, that the ones that have learned those lessons, sometimes the hard way, that our most critical asset are the people that we have on that site. And it's from the standpoint, not just from a cost standpoint, from what an injury costs and workers' comp and payouts, but from lost productivity, but how it affects family. So we're talking about building that culture. It all starts with looking yourself in the mirror as a company owner, as senior leadership and saying, am I doing as much as I possibly can to keep every single one of my workers safe and send them home in the same or better condition in which they arrived today. And so it's that introspection and when you go down the VPP path, you start down that path and you fill out the application. It's interesting because what we find more often than not is when a company or a site applies for VPP, after the first year or so in the process, because it takes about 18 months to get into the program, if, if you meet the criteria, we see their injury and illness rates go up. You might think that's counterintuitive. What the heck? They're, they're hurting more people. The reality is, is that they've, they've started to adopt that sea change in their safety culture and their mentality where they're now seeing the incidents that they may not have seen before. And they're now recording things in a different light because they're looking at it through the lens of, okay, maybe I'm not as good as I think I was. And that's an important realization to come to if you want to proceed down that path towards a high-performing, world-class health and safety culture. And then from there, it goes to what I said about R&D, rip-off and deployment. It's taking the lessons learned sometimes the hard way from some of our sites and from other companies out there that are at that elite level you want to get to and put them out, put them to work in your workforce. And, and it's getting your workforce involved in that discussion as well. And you start to see that change when you talk about now, not to get not to get too scientific on the safety and health data side. But you know, there, there's a great model out there that was developed a long time ago by, by DuPont, the Bradley Curve, that shows that once you start to get to an advanced safety and health culture, Improvements incremental. It's not we're going from recordable rate of 4.0 to 2.0 overnight over the course of a year. It's we're, we're going from 0.7 to 0.65. And when you start to see that, sometimes you get discouraged, but the realization's got to be that incremental continuous improvement is all by design because, like I said before, this is just a waypoint on a safety and health journey. Well, we're never complete on that journey. The only possible way we can complete is if we're not injuring any workers and we haven't injured anybody for years and years and years. And even then, we're still learning ways to get better. So when you talk about from that, that skilled labor shortage standpoint, you know, when I'm looking for that safety and health culture, 
as an employer, I better be doing as best I possibly can, doing everything in my power for the resources to protect my workers, because if not, I'm at a disadvantage, hiring disadvantage from the start, and it's only going to get worse. Well, I can tell that the Volunteer uh, Protection Program Participants Association is in good hands. I can tell you that for sure. You, you, I can tell that you love your job and you're invested in it, and I'm, I'm happy to see that. Uh, you know, Chris, um, you know, folks very clearly recognize, especially in the safety and health profession, that you're at the pinnacle of your career. I mean, it's, you're doing what you want to do. Um, I, and this is the way I end almost every interview because uh, I'm always interested in in uh, sort of what people want their legacy to be. So as as you're not saying that you're at the end of your career, but you know when it's all said and done, you're sitting on the front porch sipping some tea, thinking about uh, some of the things that you've been able to be in, be involved in and help accomplish with your teams that you've worked with over the years. What 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 do you want your legacy to be? Rick is about to chime in with if I hit the lottery, then if I'd be at the end of my career, but no, I, I can tell you even if I did, it'd still be involved on the safety yeah. and health side of it, the PPPA especially, because I'm fortunate to be in a position within the organization, meeting the organization in my position where where it's I've I've known VPPPA for years based on my experience with AWCI and with ABC before that. It's been 15, 20 years I've been around the association. I've seen the impact of VPP. If you know. I win the lottery or I get hit by a bus tomorrow, but both ends of that spectrum. I want my legacy to be that Chris Williams, he did his part to keep workers safe. He did his part to improve safety and health on the work site. Yes, when we look at it, we boil down to in our profession, we're just a cog in that wheel. And I mean that in a positive way because we can we can be that change we need to help a company, to help a site come to the realization that we can do better. And I, I tell everybody this, and I've had discussions with some of the preeminent minds in health and safety out there about, you know, is, is even conceivable to have zero injuries as a target, as a goal? Why can you say that? Because human element, human nature, there's always going to be a risk involved. And I say, yeah, I agree with that. But when I, when I look at what I want my legacy to be, I'm going to keep that as my goal. The reason being is that, yeah, we can achieve it. We, we can get to that point where we don't we have every single one of our workers every single one of our employees going home in the same or better condition than which they arrived that day when i say in better condition i want my legacy to be that i have helped people when they leave our job site they leave our workplace take some of the lessons we've been able to impart on them and how to operate how to, how to work safe and taking them home and they're spreading them to other people and it's you know i'm, I'm going to apologize to make it on my soapbox here those of us in the profession we're not just limiting it to where we work. We're walking down the street and we see somebody standing on scaffolding on a rail. We're stopping to tell them, hey man, that's not safe. You gotta think about, you got kids at home, you got a wife, you got a husband at home or parents who are gonna, if out of 999 times out of a thousand, nothing bad's gonna happen to that thousand time, you're gonna leave them without a dad, without a mother. Think about that. And so my legacy I want it to be, I've helped others realize that we're all in this one together and we're going to be that cog in the wheel. that's going to help not just people that we work with and work for, but we're going to help others as well, learn to work safe and send everybody home in that same better condition and get to that zero incidence. Chris, I've really enjoyed our time together. It's gone by too fast. Uh, this will bring to a close uh, another edition of Atomic Ergo. I do want to invite you back 
Uh, I am fascinated uh, by the work of the Voluntary uh, Protection Program Participants Association. So if you have an issue that you want to, um, you know, talk about, do some public advocacy for, you know, feel free to, to reach out to us. We'll be more than happy to have you back and, and, and let you explain it to our audience. So I want to thank you again for taking the time out of your schedule to be with us today. Thank you, Rory. I appreciate it. And always happy to come back and, and talk about our shared love of international relations, political science. Absolutely. Yeah, that the next one. All right, folks. Well, listen, that wraps it up for us. Uh, as always, if you have any questions, comments, concerns, or suggested topics that you want us to cover, um, feel free to leave those in the comments down uh, down below. We do read them. A matter of fact, our chief visionary officer oftentimes uh, will respond. Uh, so go, go ahead and feel free to reach out to us. Again, uh, Chris Williams with the Voluntary Protection Program Participants Association. We certainly appreciate it. And that will wrap it up for us today. You all have a, a, a great day and be good to each other.